We're going to start in Mark, and uh, we've been going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through this book, and um, let's pray. Father in heaven, your word, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, illuminate our hearts today. Perhaps a passage we've heard, for we pray that your Holy Spirit challenges us that we see things perhaps we've never seen before even if I've studied this passage the last couple of weeks I even as I'm teaching if there's something new that you want to say here God please be our teacher today fill us and teach us in Jesus name amen So we've been on a journey together through the book of Mark. And as we have been walking with Jesus through this book, and that's the beauty of the Gospels, again, the birth, the life, the ministry, the death, burial, resurrection. When we study a Gospel, we get to walk with Jesus, and that's what we've been doing. But I think you've noticed now that we've crossed the threshold between Mark 11 and Mark 12. Um where we're seeing less miracles and more message. There's less miracles and there's more message. Not only are there less miracles and more message, but the message now, it's getting a little bit more pointed and the conflict is increasing. And we're going to see that over the next few weeks as we study this book, is that as the conflict is increasing, the great lessons the, and, and perhaps you've noticed this in your own life, is that as you're getting closer to the cross, which is what's happening with Jesus, well, the lessons seem to be greater. The stakes are always higher. And, you know, we want to make sure that we're clear that the closer that we get to the cross, the more we're going to be treated like Christ. What if the church taught that today? What if the church taught today that the more Christ-like you become, the more you would be treated like Christ. Because sometimes that's a message that's kind of missing in the church. We think, well, the more that we get it, the easier it's going to be. And that's not necessarily the case. What we see is that as Jesus is inching His way towards the cross, now again going full throttle, uh, that the stakes are higher, the conflict is greater, and as you, as Christians, are fulfilling your divine purpose, listen, The enemy does not like it when you give your life to Christ, but the enemy absolutely hates it when you live your life for Christ. So he doesn't like it when you give your life to Christ, but he absolutely hates it when you live your life for Christ because that means you have the the, uh, potential to affect many lives. When you're living for Jesus and you're fulfilling your divine purpose that only He set aside for you on this planet, what happens is this is that as the seed goes into the ground, it springs forth and it brings forth much fruit when you're living for Jesus Christ and you're fulfilling uh, what He called you to do. And so we look at that and we say, well, then that's kind of put me in conflict, Pastor, because if you're saying that the closer I get to Christ, that things may get more difficult, you'd be like, then why would I want to do this whole thing? You'd be like, Lord, okay, so in other words... You, you know, when Jesus gets baptized, and I, I was thinking about this the other day, all right, when Jesus gets baptized, he is not, uh, they don't do a little barbecue and they don't do a big party. Uh, Holy Spirit says, listen, we're going to bring you to the middle of the desert and we're going to leave you there. So one of the things that we might start doing as a church is after you get baptized, we might take your wallet, take you to the roughest part of town, just kind of drop you there for 40 days and see what happens. No, but listen. That's when Satan comes after Jesus, right? After his baptism. After he's brought to the desert. There's no account of Satan attacking Jesus before that moment. And so the closer we get to fulfilling God's will for our lives, the more the enemy is coming after us with both barrels. And again, why be a Christian? 
if it's just going to make things more difficult. And I think by the end of this service, I pray by the end of this service, as we talk about the implications of following and what that means and being entrusted with the things that God has given us, we're going to take a look at a sermon illustration that I borrowed from Francis Chan. Yes, I borrowed the sermon illustration you'll see later from Francis Chan. And when we look at that, I think you're going to understand that the turmoil, the trial, the testing, the challenges that no would fully understand what Jesus did on the cross will take their last breath on this earth having lived for him and saying, you know what, I regret it. We're going to see why that is today. All right? And so, again, there's more message, there's less miracles. The last miracle that we saw was the cursing of the fig tree, and that's after Jesus turned over the tables in the temple. Uh, the religious leaders are not happy. All right, they're going to start turning up the heat. And, um, and so Jesus is going to dedicate a little song to them today, a little parable. It's an earthly story with a heavenly significance when we look at parables. And, um, and again, the, the religious leaders, they're really upset. As he is ridden into Jerusalem, he's been proclaimed a king. The crowd is shouting, Hosanna, save us. They've heard of his miracles. By this time, Lazarus has been resurrected. They've heard that he can resurrect the dead. They know that the way that the crowd is looking at him and they want to take him down. And so he's going to address this parable to them and after he addresses this parable to them, it's going to be about what they've been, what they've been as the religious leaders entrusted with, what they've done with it, and the application we're going to find is that as the church, we've been entrusted with something very dear to God. We've been entrusted with this. And what are we doing with what He's given us? Alright, because God has an expectation that we as the church bear fruit. That's the expectation. But what are we doing with what he gave us? And so let's read the parable of the wicked vine dressers. The parable of the wicked vine dressers, starting at Mark 12, verse 1, said, Then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a place for the wine vat, and built a tower, and he leased it to the vine dressers and went into a far country. Now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another servant. And at him, they threw stones, wounded him in the head, and sent him away shamefully treated. And again, he sent another, and him they killed and many others, beating some and killing some. Therefore, still having one son, his beloved, he also sent him to them last, saying, Oh, they will respect my son. But those vine dressers said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hands on him, but feared the multitude, for they knew he had spoken the parable against him, so they left him and they went away. Stop there. Why this parable? Why now? What's he saying? Simply broken down. Okay, there is a vineyard uh, owner and he has cultivated this beautiful vineyard. He's leased it out to the, uh, he's leased it out to the tenants. And after he leased it out, he went back for some fruit, sent his servants back for some fruit. They either killed or hurt the servants and attacked them. And then he finally sent his son. And then they killed him thinking that they would get everything. When we look at this parable, we say, wow, 
All right, we get what it means, right? Now, now that everything's been accomplished, now that Jesus has died on the cross, now that we saw that he was put to death, you get it. You get what's happened here, and you understand the story that he's telling. And we take a look and we say, well, how could the tenants do this? They're just tenants. What we come to understand is that God is the vineyard owner. The hedge is the law. The tenants are the religious leaders, and it was God's desire that they bring forth fruit. And you would say, well, how do we know that? How would they have known that? See, there's a lot about this parable that they would have completely understood. How is that? Because they knew Scripture. Leave Mark go back to the book of Isaiah. This was written a couple of hundred years ago, so we're walking back a couple of hundred years, a few hundred years, sorry about that, several hundred years. And this is written by Isaiah, and it's believed that Isaiah is a prophet of God. Uh, history would have it, legend would have it, that Isaiah was killed by being sawed in half. Isaiah 5 it says, now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst, and he also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge please between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now please tell me, you, what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, that's its protection, and it shall be burned and break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry out for help. You see right there? You see, I mean, it's right there. So the religious leaders would have heard Jesus saying this. They would have known a lot about what he was talking about. They might not have fully understood that they were going to put the son to death, but they wanted to put this man to death. So there's a lot that they understood. They knew that this song was a little dedication towards them and that it was pointed at them for what they did with what they'd been entrusted with. No, you were supposed to bring forth good fruit and instead you brought forth wild grapes. It was your leadership. It's what you did with what had been entrusted to you. And so they would have understood this. Now, how do we understand it? How do we go back to Mark? How do we take this parable and understand it so many years later? Well, America, the chosen nation. No! Okay, just no. A blessed nation? Yes. Yes. But a chosen nation like Israel, no. When we look to prophecy, when you look to books like Ezekiel, and you look to Revelation, uh, you can kind of say, well, this might be China, this might be Russia, this might be Iran, this might be Iraq, but nobody looks and says, well, I think that this is the United States. We seem to be noticeably, intentionally absent. Take it seriously, folks. The United States is a blessed nation, and here's the thing. If there's a parallel anywhere, Israel, the chosen nation, if there's a parallel anywhere, it's the church. That we've been entrusted. Have we not? We've been entrusted with what? We've been entrusted with the Holy Spirit. 
We've been entrusted with the message of the Gospel, which is the difference between life and death. So the Holy Spirit, the Gospel, we have the Word of God, we've got the message, we've got resources, especially the church in the United States. Oh, we have resources. We uh, have been given spiritual gifts. We, these things we have been entrusted with in the United States. You're in the church in the United States. You're privileged to be able to open up your Bible in a public school. You're privileged to be able to do this. What are we doing with it? Alright, because here's where we can draw the parallel. See, there are gifts that have been bestowed on us. We've been blessed. There's also an expectation that we bear fruit, that we glorify God, that we spread the Gospel, that we advance His kingdom while we're here with what He's given us. And here's another place that is important that we draw a parable. We will be accountable for what we did with what we had. That's really what this is all about. When we take a look at the religious leaders, we take a look at what they did. It's unconscionable. Because what they were going to do was foretold as early as the book of Isaiah, and they still did it. And they still did it. Now, when you're entrusted with something, that's a serious, depending on what it is that you've been entrusted with, it could be a serious responsibility. I trust somebody with my children. I don't let anybody watch my children. Not just anybody. I won't just let anybody watch my kids. I won't just let anybody borrow my car. I've driven with some of you. <laughs> I did. The keys to our house. Not everybody gets them. All right? So there are things that are more precious to you that you won't entrust with certain people because you know that there are some people that are going to abuse what you give them. There are some people that are going to neglect what you give them. There are some people, however, that are just going to maintain what you give them and what you entrust to them. But there are some people that you're going to entrust with something. They're going to actually turn it, return it in better shape than you gave it to them. That's really cool. That's really cool. But today as a church, as Christians that have been entrusted, very much like the parable, there are a few keys that we're going to take a look at. Things that will help us take a look at what we have and use it more effectively. All right? How many of you could, could stand to take the things that you've been given on this planet and use them more effectively? All right, if that's you, and that's basically everybody in the room, um, then the first thing that we have to realize is this. This is the first simple point. All we have is from God. All we have is from God. So as we take a look at the parable of the wicked tenants, all right, the first great lesson in the parable is that it's his vineyard. It doesn't exist unless he plants it there, unless he cultivates it, unless he puts the tower there, builds the wall there, uh, digs out the moat there. It doesn't exist unless he puts it there. It's his. His vineyard. All things were made by Him. Alright? They have not respected this. They don't respect whose vineyard they're in. It's His. Now think of this for a moment, okay? If all we have is from God, Genesis 1.1 reads like this. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How many of you have ever created something? How many of you have ever made something that you were kind of proud of? Maybe as a kid in school. Maybe early in school. You made something, you brought it home to mom and dad, mom and dad put it on the refrigerator, and you said, look at what I made. Alright, they gave you all the material to make it. Here's what you can't do. You can't do what God did in the beginning. You can't do that. Alright, because it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth, and that word for created is a special word in Hebrew. It's called bara. Bara. And what it means is, is that he created it out of nothing. You can't borrow. You can go borrow things in order to make something, <laughs> but you can't borrow. You can't create things borrow. All right? You create, he created all things out of nothing. We can't do that. God did that. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all at work in creation. The Bible says all things that were made through him that were made and without him nothing was made that was made. Romans 11.36 says, For of Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. Alright? And so realizing that all things are from God. Everything. 
everything that we have. There's a story. One day a little boy named Tommy delivered a loaf of bread to Mrs. Jones. And Mrs. Jones said, thank you, Tommy. Tommy said, oh, do not thank me. Thank the grocer. He gave the bread to give to you. So she went to thank the grocer. The grocer smiled and said, oh, don't thank me. I get the bread from Baker Brown. But when she went to thank Baker Brown, he said, no, 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 go thank Miller Milligan. He should be given the gratitude for without his flour, he couldn't make the bread. But he said, no, don't you thank me. Go thank Frank the farmer. Frank the farmer, because without the flour from Frank's farm, well, without that wheat, the farmer protested when he went to thank him. He said, no, don't thank me. Thank God. If he didn't give me my farm, sunshine and rain, I couldn't grow the wheat. Everything you have is from God. Trace it back. The clothes that you're wearing, you can trace it back to the fact that it finds its origin in God's creation. And the very fact that he takes a look at us and he makes us creative, that's amazing. Okay, anybody that's ever looked at the sky through a telescope and you said, wow, this is pretty amazing, this telescope. God created the eye. And he created the stars, the things that we're looking at. And when you look at it, and you look at it in amazement, and you're trying to process it, well, guess what? He created your brain. We don't think unless he gave us the ability to. Yet what does man do? Man takes their brain, and they use their ability to reason, to reason them right out of God. When all things were made by him. Listen, anything that you have, anything that you have right now, do you have children? That's from God. Do you have food? Clothes on your back. You were able to get here today. Either by a church van or by your own car or by somebody giving you a ride. That was from God. Whatever you have has been given to you from God. And it's a good thing periodically for us to just sit back and consider. Listen, even the material for the clothes that I made eventually came from, from God's creation. And then man's ability to be creative, to make something like this, clothes, clothes on our back, that's pretty amazing. You have a mouth to speak, you have lungs to breathe, you have feet to walk. You have all these things, and all these things have been, they're from God. The church, our Bible studies, our time to pray, this fellowship, this is from God. This is from God. But here's the thing. While all of this is from God, we will miss it if we don't realize that it's not only from God, but it, that it's also for God. That very same verse, Romans 11.36, it says, For of Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. The things that we've been given are, be, are to be directed towards them. This is another thing that the tenants didn't get. Why did the vineyard owner plant the vineyard? He planted the vineyard because it brought him pleasure to do so. It brought him pleasure to do so. He would have relationship with the, with the tenants. They would give him fruit. And so there would be an aspect of benevolence in this. Uh, there would be an expectation. There was creativity. There are all of these reasons that the vineyard was placed there and he blessed them and it blessed him to bless them. And yet there was no acknowledgement of the owner, no appreciation for what he did. As a matter of fact, not only did they miss the purpose, but they went so far as when he requested some fruit from his vineyard to attack his servants, to damage them, and to kill his own son. Well, listen, the one who's telling the story is the very son that's going to be killed. Doesn't that blow your mind? Think about this for a second. The one that's telling them this parable is telling them, you're going to put to death his son. His son is telling the story. So Jesus is there telling the story, basically saying, listen, you guys are going to go so far as to even put me to death. And yet when we say that all things are from him and that all things are for him, even this moment is for him. Even though they're going to put him on a cross and he knows it, 
all things work together for good to those that love Him, somehow we take a look at it and we say, well, this is mind-blowing. And He's saying, this is going to work together for the good of my kingdom and for the good of my people and to glorify me more than any other way of doing this. Because His justice and His plan is absolutely perfect. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the things that you've been given in your life, no matter what it is you've been dealt, no matter what card you've been dealt, it's been given from Him, and we are to glorify Him in it. Revelation 4.11 reads like this, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for You have created all things, and for Your pleasure they were created. For your pleasure they were created. And we still look at this and we say, I don't get this, but understand this. If everything was from Him and for Him, then whether or not you're taking what you have right now and you're really blessing others with it and you're being blessed by what you have and you're using it to glorify God, if you're doing that, He's going to be glorified with what you have. But guess what? You turn your back on God. You use it all for yourself. God's going to be glorified anyway. God is going to be glorified. And you're saying, how does that work? And I'm going to be honest with you. I have no idea. But, <laughs> no, seriously, if you, and again, we're not going to get all superhero-ish today, I promise. But I will say this. When you take a look at the stories that we gravitate towards too, there's the good and then there's the evil. All right? Well, depending on the level of evil, you come to a greater appreciation of the hero of the story. Do you not? Now, all right, we appreciate the hero of the story, of any great story you appreciate and you root for the hero, correct? But now step back for a second and think of the author of that story. The author put the different parts in there for a reason. And so we take a look at the author and we go, wow. You step back and you look while the author really knew what he was doing when he did this. If you take a look at an artist, take a look at the Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci, if you take a look at the way that the painting is, from the people sitting at the table to the way that the floor is, to the way that the ceiling is, if you take a look at that painting, what you'll see is that da Vinci was very intentional about making sure that the entire painting points to one character, and that's Jesus Christ sitting right in the middle. And that's how the whole thing has been designed. For of Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. He is indeed the author and He knows all. He's aware of everything. But until we know that it's from Him and we understand that it's for Him, we're going to struggle. The early church father, Basil, he wrote it like this, Human beings can search the heavens, measure the distance of the stars, observe their revolutions, but unless they recognize that God is the creator of the universe, they will see nothing as it truly is. If the world is cut free from its creator, it loses its natural access and all meaning. When it is recognized that the intelligibility of the world is derived from something beyond itself, everything then comes into focus. When we realize that not only is everything from Him, but everything is for Him. Um, and that'll bring us to the third consideration. Not only is everything from Him and for Him, but we will never use what you've been given by God until you yourselves belong to God. Until someone belongs to God, they're never going to get any of it. They're going to miss the whole thing until they belong to God. Only then are they going to recognize. You see, and this is where, the again, the tenants fail. All right. The tenants, uh, for all intents and purposes, again, they represented the religious leadership. And representing the religious leadership, they failed to realize that they themselves belonged to the vineyard owner, the one who planted the vineyard there. They claimed to be gods, but they weren't gods. And maybe we see that a lot in our society today. Maybe we see people that are saying, well, yes, I belong to the Lord, I wear the title Christian, but we don't see a lot of fruit in their lives. Listen, the Jewish leaders, when Jesus uh, approached them 
I just want you to, I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but it's John 8. Uh, he got very pointed with them because they were telling him, oh no, our father's Abraham, we belong to God. Listen to what Jesus says. Verse 37. He says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants. I know you're his blood, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh. If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we are, we're not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said, oh, if God were your father, if you belonged to him, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You are of father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's word. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Stop there. A touch sobering. Why? Because it's truth. Because it's truth. You're hearing it, and because you're God's children, you're going, wow, that's heavy. And it is. It is. These are not the kind of passages that you leave the church saying, guess what I learned in church today? <laughs> all right, the religious leaders, well, Jesus went and he told them that they were all uh, children of the devil. No. Okay, well, what does that mean for us as the church? Who we belong to. How you were purchased. That this very son who looked at them and said, listen, you're going to put the son to death. That's the very son that is going to walk the road to Calvary and he's going to do so for you. And he's going to do so for me. And until you belong to him, you're never going to understand why you were here, what you've been given, and what to do with it. This is so important and I'm going to tell you why. People can tell who you belong to. People that don't belong to God are have no concern about God, about who He is, about His ways. They have no concern for Him. And remember this, while all are God's creation, not all are God's children. We become God's children because Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Me. That's how we become a child of God. We repent of sins, and we sign over the lease to our life. You sign over the title. You don't just pick up a card and say, okay, I went to church, heard a message, picked the card, and I left. Instead, what it is, it's like you're saying, I want you to be Lord of my life. I'm repenting of my sins, and I want life transformation. I want the new life that your Word talks about. That's what it means. And so you have to sign the title over. If you've ever bought a car from someone, you have to have the title. If you don't have the title, it's not yours. They pull you over, you don't have the title, uh uh-uh. Alright? If you don't have the title, it's not your car. They may say it's yours, you might have given them money, you might have written out a check, but unless they sign the title over, it's not your car. And so some have to still sign the title of their life over, understanding this, that He just desires you which is pretty amazing for anybody in this room that has ever been used by another human being for any purpose, anybody that's ever been used, understand this. God wants you for you. He desires you for you. When somebody in sports... How many basketball fans do we have here? Anybody? All right. Miami Heat, a couple of years ago, they lost LeBron James. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Whatever. 
All right, it's just an illustration. Just go with me for a second, will you? All right. I would imagine that some of the fans were like, what are the Miami Heat going to do without King James? <laughs> what are the Miami Heat going to do without him? Okay? And now the owners, probably, the managers, the coaches are probably like, that's a pretty big loss. That's a big deal. Listen. Pastor falls. Someone turns away from God. God's not sitting there going, Michael, Gabriel, what are we going to do? John decided he doesn't want to be a pastor. What are we going to do? He doesn't do that. Right? He desires you for you. It's not what you can bring to the table. All he wants is your heart. And if he has your heart, it's going to be evident in everything else. People will be able to look at your lives. It's not just what you say. It's not just what you do. It's what you say together with what you do, together with what you post, together with what you tweet that tells the world what you believe, what you prioritize, and all about your character, who you belong to. But you won't use these, you won't use your Facebook page to glorify God if you don't belong to Him. You're not going to use your car to glorify God unless you belong to Him. So, very first, you have to belong to Him. Because He's the one that delivered you from the power of darkness, according to Colossians 1.13, and conveyed you into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And to those that go to the cross and receive Him, those are the ones He gave the right to be called the children of God. So you have to know who you belong to. But listen, there's a relationship that we, the more that we go into this relationship, the more we delve into it, the more that you realize how we became gods, the more it will change your perspective on what you have. It is directly proportional. The more you realize who you are to him, what he did to gain relationship with you by sending his son to the cross, the more you come to that realization, the more it changes someone. It's, it will it will ultimately change. I'm sorry. Uh, it will change the music you listen to. It'll change the TV that you watch. It'll change your language. It'll change the way that you treat others because it's directly proportional and it makes sense. I'll ask you to go to John 15. And we'll read the first few verses. Because we're talking about a vineyard, and we're talking about God, and we're talking about tenants, and we're talking about producing fruit. But if you want to be one in this room that produces fruit, then listen to this, because this, again, is Jesus talking. It's John 15, and it goes with everything we're talking about today. Jesus is the true vine. The Father is the vine dresser. Imagine me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for without me, listen, you can do nothing. He who abides in me and I in him. In other words, what he's saying here is this, I made you for me. Your highest purpose on this planet will be found when you're in that relationship with me. When you not only realize what I did, but the closer you draw to me, the more you meditate on me, the closer you are to me, the better it is for you because that's how I wired you, God says. I wired you for this moment. I wired you for this purpose. What happens is, is that now you increasingly take inventory. How am I spending my time? How is it that I'm spending my money? What am I doing with what he gave me? This is where we're going to borrow this little sermon illustration from Francis Chan and it starts with a rope. Here's the little rope that we have, all right? Now, this rope is 100 feet, okay? But as you're looking at this rope right now, how many of you can actually see where it ends? 
Nobody, right? No, no, Kevin, Kevin, stay up there. <laughs> you can't see. Okay, you can see where it ends here. Okay, you can see where it begins. All right, thank you. All right, you can see where it begins, but you can't necessarily see where the rope leads to, and you can't necessarily see where the rope ends. Now, what we did was we tied a little blue piece of tape here. We taped it. Um, we put a little blue piece of tape here because this represents your life on this planet. This represents your life on this planet. And where the rest of the rope extends is the rest of what you've been created for. Now think of it like this, okay? So let's say that this little part was your childhood. This little part here was your education. All right, now you're spending the rest of this time and you're trying to work for the last little piece here, this last little blue piece, which is going to be retirement. Okay, here's your retirement right here. It's all right, it's about the last centimeter of this. That's your retirement. And everybody spends their time working for the stuff on the blue tape and they forget about the things of all of eternity. When this is why you were created. When everything that you were created and everything that you enjoy here is temporary. Everything that you've tried to satisfy the longings of this life with Everything here is temporary, and it's used to help determine what happens here. Don't you just look at that and you go, okay, well, that's a little different. That changes the way I'm going to use my money. That changes the way I'm going to, whoa, 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 spend my time. <laughs> I'm still cool. <laughs> no, I'm not. I've never been cool, and I'll never be cool, but that's cool. Um, I love me less. Okay. <laughs> I hope the point is being made. The point. Oh, this, no, this thing is okay. We can hear you. Okay, you can hear me? Good. All right. But the point is being made that we spend a lot of time focusing on the stuff here. And we're not really thinking about the stuff here. The more we abide in the vine, I in him, he in me, that's when we're going to bear fruit. But the kind of fruit that he's talking about is fruit that lasts into all of eternity. And that's the purpose of this. So we knocked the microphone off and was, okay, but, but you got the point. Last thing. The thing that we see with the vine dressers, let's go back to Mark 12. And he says here, verse 9, he says, Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers, give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read this scripture, the stone which the builders rejected, chief cornerstone, this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So that which you're about to reject, that which you are about to send to the cross, that's going to become the foundation on which every other thing is built and what you will ultimately be held accountable for before God. And this brings us to our last thought, and that is that you're going to be ultimately rewarded by what you did with what he gave you. By what you did with what he gave you. And if you're somebody in this room that has heard this now and you say, okay, well, all right, obviously the, um, the vine dressers that were irresponsible, the wicked tenants, well, they're going to be dealt with. They're going to be held accountable for what they did with what they had. So too, we as the church, as a Christian, personally, corporately, we're going to be held accountable for what we did with what he gave us, mostly the chief cornerstone. He gave you relationship. All right. Did people see fruit? Did they see the fruit of repentance in your life? Matthew 3.8 tells us that we should bear fruit worthy of repentance. Did they see the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Did they see that? Did they see the fruit of what you did with the monetary uh, blessings that you'd been given? And some of you would say, well, Pastor, you don't know my finances. I don't have a lot to, uh, I don't have a lot to use here. Well, whatever it is that you have, you've been given by God for God to glorify God. Whatever it is. 
whatever time you have here, and here's the thing about time, you don't know how much of it you have. We simply don't know. So you've been given time, you've been given treasure, you've been given talent. And these are the things that we're going to answer for. Listen, there's one more passage I want to show you. And that's 1 Corinthians. And it's chapter 3. Verse 9, where it says, For we are God's fellow workers, but you are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet so far as through fire, do not do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Stop right there. Salvation. By grace you've been saved through faith. It is the gift of God. That is the gift of God. But what you do with what he gave you, you will be held accountable for and you will be rewarded for. It's the husband you were. It's the father you are. The mother. The way you treated people in the workplace the way you treated people at Walmart. <laughs> the way you treated people on I-95. You get the point. These are things that we will, as the church, with what has been imparted to us, be held accountable for. We want to do everything we can with everything that we were given to glorify the One that gave everything for us. I want to close you with this illustration. And you'll be familiar with it, anybody that's ever heard the story of the little red hen. Alright? This is the church's equivalent of the little red hen. Alright, one day the Lord approached His church. And when He came to the church, He said, I found a lost and dying world that I gave My Son for, and I've given you the message. Who will share the Gospel with those who know not the way of the life eternal? And when he asked, the pastor said, well, I mean, I can't go out there and do it because I've got to study and I've got to pray. So the pastor said, not I. And then the deacon said, well, I'm so busy serving around the church, I really don't have time to do anything else. So he said, not I. And then the Sunday school teacher said, well, the kids are driving me crazy, but not our kids. And then he said, not I. And then the choir member said, oh, I'm, I'm busy singing, so I can't do it. And then the other church member said, well, this just isn't my gift, so not I. Very well, said the Lord. I will find someone else. And he did. After some time, the gospel seed sprouted and grew. Who will teach these young in faith the way of the righteousness and truth? Asked the Lord. Oh, not I, said the pastor. He said, I'm busy studying and I'm busy praying. And not I, said the deacon. You know, God, I'm busy. Not I, said the Sunday school teacher. The kids are driving me crazy. Not our kids. Not I, said the choir member. Not I, said the church member. It's just not my gift. It's not my thing. Very well then, said the Lord. I will find someone else to teach my word. And he did. Now, said the Lord, the church has children and teenagers who will shepherd and direct them in my ways. Oh, not I, said the pastor. I'm, I'm busy. 
Deacon says, I'm busy, not I. Sunday school teacher, choir member, both say, I'm busy, I'm busy, I can't. Very well then, said the Lord. I'll find another, and he did. And the Lord said, the meeting house needs some work. Who will help clean it, mend its roof, paint its wall, so that it may bring honor to my name and joy to those who gather there? Oh, not I, said the pastor. Not I, said the deacon. Not I, said the choir member. Not I, said the Sunday school teacher. And not I, said the church member. I don't have those gifts. Very well, said the Lord. I will find someone else. And he did. Later the Lord said, Some of my children are in need, and my widows, who will share what is theirs so that others may have. Not I, said the pastor. Let the deacon do it. The deacon, oh, not I. Let the Sunday school worker do it. The Sunday school worker, not I. Let the choir member do it. The choir member said, not I. Let the church member do it. Very well, said the Lord. I will find someone else. And he did. Eventually, after the gospel was preached and the weak were taught and the young guided and the meeting house repaired and those in need help, the Lord said, who now will share in the joys of Christian service? Who will come taste the blessings of faithfulness? Who will know the fruit of the spiritual growth? Oh, I will, said the pastor. No, 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 I will, said the deacon. I will, said the Sunday school teacher. I will, said the choir member. I will, said the church member. And God said, no, you will not. My rewards will go to those who do my will and not their own. I don't think we can do anything after that except pray. So let's just go do that. That's how we're going to close today. <laughs> oh, Lord. As we look at the parable of the wicked tenants, as it's called, and we see the fate of the vine dressers, God, I pray that we don't walk away from here thinking, oh, what a terrible Christian I am. I pray instead that we walk away knowing, God, that there's a calling on our lives and the more that we understand your great love for us, the more we desire to take everything that we have because it's all yours anyway and share it and bless others and see your kingdom advanced. We want to see you glorified. We want to see you honored. We want to see your face, God. So, Father, I pray that you continue to challenge us through your word. Father, as we continue through the book of Mark, we're seeing, Father, now as Jesus is getting closer to the cross, again, this is getting serious. But, Father, the condition of this planet is serious. And you've placed us here for a moment such as this, to preach your gospel, to raise up leaders, to make disciples, to help the helpless, to love those that are hard to love, forgive those that are hard to forgive, to show your peace when we ourselves are sometimes in turmoil, and to consider a pure joy throughout our struggle. Because in your presence is the fullness of it. Thank you for this gathering. Thank you for the baptisms we are about to celebrate. Thank you for what you're doing here. Thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.